0: Well, good to see you all this morning, hope you're doing well, hope you're coming from a, a good week, uh, other than the Dodgers win, And um, but uh, this uh, this morning, excited to be continuing in our series, working through the book of Acts, and we're, we've we made it to chapter four now, so we're wrestling through this and kind of uh, exposing some neat stuff in the early church, and really this is just a historical account of the church, what actually happened after Jesus went back to heaven, and then what happened after he left is what we've been looking at thus far. If you wouldn't mind turning with me, we'll be in chapter four uh, this morning. It's so much easier to study this if we're looking at it together. We're talking about the original church, and you remember a couple weeks back about what all the things they were just getting right. They were firing on all cylinders, and then it started to be one of those things that they went from having favor with all the people, people, and, and it started to be contagious. They were, they were seizing moments and taking advantage of opportunities to minister to those around them, but as we're going to see this morning, it's kind of an interesting parallel where Jesus Christ, when he first uh, healed this man, this lame man, and uh, caused him to rise, that was the beginning of opposition for Jesus Christ, and now coming off after our story of last week where Peter and John healed a lame man in Jesus' name, now the opposition begins. So the, the favor is concluding, if you will, and the opposition is starting. And it's interesting in our life, isn't that how often it goes, is when the, the, the tightness, when we start to get pinched, you start to see what's on the inside. I've heard it said, the illustration, you're probably wondering what this is doing up here, that we're kind of, as Christians, we're kind of like toothpaste. This is uh, crest, uh, sh- super whitening something or other, but you see what, you don't, you don't really know what's on the inside. You might see it on the label, what it says that it's it, that it is, but until it's actually squeezed, and this is the fun part, Till it's actually squeezed, you don't know what's on the inside. It could be some kind of a black mess. It looks like this is actually what it says it is. But, but here, uh, you guys can finish that job afterwards. That's just fun. Uh, therapeutic one might say. Uh, but but you, you, you see what's on the inside is revealed when we're squeezed tight. And for the Christ follower and for the disciples, they're about to get really squeezed, and you're going to see what comes out. And unfortunately, up until now, not the best stuff has come out when they're squeezed. You you, you see that fear and panic and and running from the authorities was what came out when they're first squeezed, but now they're empowered with the Holy Spirit. God has set up camp inside of these young disciples. And literally, we're going to see this morning that when they're squeezed now, uh, it's revealing a new boldness, an unshakable boldness in the presence of risk and even threat of life. We're going to see a boldness like none other. I wanted to start as that's really our big idea is boldness revealed. I wanted to make sure we're on the same page when I talk about boldness because sometimes people, when they hear the word boldness, they associate that with the word obnoxious, right? Boldness is sometimes associated with being obnoxious. The, the, the beat red pastor pounding the pulpit is not really the picture of boldness that we're describing here. It's I like the definition. It's a direct communication rooted in a lack of fear. Again, direct communication rooted in a lack of fear. In other words, we're not cribble, crippled by the potential response of the hearer. It's not about being obnoxious. It's, it's not being pushy, but it's being convinced, convinced of something. It's not something coerced. It's a, a natural overflow out of what you believe. So we're going to see in the text this morning, it literally comes from what's inside. It's when squeezed Hopefully, that's what comes out of each of us. And what I'd suggest is there's no guarantee with cultural trends that we're always going to have favor with those around us. The squeeze might amplify, as I'd suggest, even is happening in our culture. And the natural overflow should be what comes out of this boldness that we're talking about. My wife and I attended Moody Bible Institute for our graduate program that we attended, and while we were doing that, while in full-time ministry. So a lot of our classes were in the evening. And I remember in particular, one class that we we're in, we had one of the students there. He literally on the way to and from a class, he actually wore it all the way through, had this big sign on his chest and uh, like a billboard and also on his back. And it just had the words, Jesus loves you. When I first saw this guy, I'm like, oh man, this guy, man, he's a, he's, a, he's a piece of work, which is probably not good for me to say that as a pastor, but, but as I, I, I'm reading that, and as I, as I got to know him a little bit, he's like, yeah, I, I, I found out the story behind it. He's like, yeah, I take, the, I take the, the train back and forth to class. He's like, I've just found that this is just a, a neat and easy way to start conversations with people that maybe think I'm weird, but then they start talking, I get to share about how much Jesus loves them, and I was like, Cool. Cool. And so so as a church, we're going to do that this week. All of you are going to wear signs. No, I'm just kidding. We're we're, we're not going to do that. I'd say that boldness takes some different looks and it's not always a billboard on your chest, but God calls us to different levels of boldness. And we're going to see these disciples display it pretty well here in the text. I think there's a lot to learn from it. Let me pray before we start reading from chapter four. I thank you for this opportunity Lord this morning to even as Chad mentioned uh, proclaim through song and I, I I love that see worship in our songs as, as musical prayer an opportunity to proclaim your goodness and to speak things that maybe we might not think to say God I I thank you for that opportunity already this morning now we ask as we begin the study of your written word that you'd teach us that you'd be the teacher in this room active and working in our our hearts and soul, and piercing directly to the part that you want to get to in us, God, and maybe that might even result in us coming out of here with a little new, a new confidence and boldness in you, God. We know that that's only possible with your spirit moving, and so we ask for that now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So chapter 4, we're going to get not all the way through it, but we're starting in verse 1. Let's read this section together. Get your eyes on God's Word if you wouldn't mind. It says this, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about five thousand. Pretty interesting little account there. Let me give a little explanation there as you're looking at that. First, you see what's happening. It says that they were speaking to the the people. The they is Peter and John from our story last week. You remember after they healed this lame man, everybody's crowding around, rushing to find out. What in the world happened? Give some kind of an explanation. And so it's a little bit of a, a cool Q&A time, but you notice that it's cut short by some new uh, uh, folks in the storyline here. It says that they came upon them, and it describes who came upon them. First, it mentions the priests. So you had ordinary priests that were conducting the evening sacrifice for that. They had a rotation of 24 different priests that by drawing lots, they would choose who's the main guy for that week. And so this time, this this priest is fired up probably because this is one shot and he's getting his attention is being diverted uh, from him. You also see the next person there uh, mentioned there, the captain of the temple guard so what Rome had allowed was they allowed for the, the Jewish folks to police their own temple. Does that make sense? So that was one of the responsibilities. This guy was, was a pretty high degree of authority. I've learned this week just in my study that he was only second to the high priest. and So he's a, a big deal, but still regardless, this is the picture that comes to mind when I think of this guy. Not the lion, but this guy, and so so he he's showing up on the on the scene. He's he's enforcing the law, uh, making sure that this gets addressed. And then it also mentions in that group also Sadducees. So Sadducees, as I explain this, and I think it's important to have a grasp of what was going on there. You basically had four main sects. S-E-C-T-S, of Judaism Uh, at that time. You had the Sadducees, which is mentioned. You had the, let's see if you can name another main one. There you go. We all, all know that. The other two, the Essenes and also the zealots. Zealots were uh, known for being more militaristic. And so this is the four main groups. And so the the Sadducees were sad, you see, you've probably heard that. But uh, Sadducees, they were sad uh, because one, they were small in number, but large in power. The reason they were large in power is because they held the main seat of being the high priest for generation after generation after generation, and literally the same family, kind of, uh, kind of, in a sense, like a mafia. Actually, I, I was learning that it was the, the same family. I think it was seven different generations that they played out of being the high priest in that role. So, there, there, the Sadducees had a, a lot of power. Some of the things they'd be in modern day, they'd be pretty. Cons- uh, they wouldn't be very conservative. Conservative. Ah conservative uh, and so they they were a couple things they believed and this is important in this explanation as you look one they didn't they only believed in the written law not the oral law so they believed in the first five books of the law that's it they didn't believe in an afterlife so they didn't believe in consequence to your choices no reckoning at the end of all of this they didn't believe in a resurrection. They they didn't a lot of things that we would uh, cling and hold dear to. They didn't believe in. They didn't believe in a spiritual world of angels and demons. So they're pretty tight in their beliefs. And so because of this, you see that it says that they were greatly annoyed by what these two, what Peter and John are, are doing. First, that they're annoyed by the fact that they're just teaching in general. Hey, who are these guys? that are uneducated, we're going to learn later, how are they teaching? And then the second, it points right there in the text, it says, greatly annoyed because they were teaching one, and then what they're teaching, the people, and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they're annoyed that they're saying the same thing that we say still today, that somebody that's embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is resurrected into a perfect body, into eternity with Christ. That's the piece that they're like, we, we don't buy that. And so they're opposing this and trying to squelch it as soon as possible. But we know because it's already evening that they've kind of missed their window. It was basically too late. Why do I say it's too late? Because you see what happens there. It says that this group that many embrace the message, that many, this group that last count we heard, there are about 3,120, now it's up to 5,000 men, 5,000 men. We're usually in scripture, that's usually accounts of men, but when you add women into the mix and kids and families, that can, go, that can easily dump, double to 10,000 and beyond. So here's the thing, uh, and so I find this interesting, and you, some of you are glazing over already, but listen to this, think for a second. So 10,000 people, if, if Jerusalem, as you, if you study anything about Jer- Jerusalem, their population, they estimate that is around 50,000 people living in Jerusalem. Now you have 10,000 people that have embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. What percent is that? Yeah, there you go, 20%. 20%. How often have you talked to somebody Jewish that would say, Yeah, we we all rejected Jesus, even from the get-go, he was rejected. Can you imagine if in Agora Hills, 20% of people embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? That would be a staggering number, and Acts continues to tell, it doesn't give numbers anywhere past that, about growth of the church. So my point being, this was not a little movement. This is too late. They, 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 It's gone too far. It's taken off. It's spreading like crazy as people are embracing Jesus Christ. The takeaway just from that is for us is what, what uh, when, when we think so often, we associate the results or we re, re associate a negative response that we must be doing something wrong. If there's opposition, we tell ourselves, well, we've clearly need to adjust our message because uh, because some people didn't like it. Can you imagine if these guys did that? No, no, that's not that's not the case here. We're not we're not adjusting to to make things work. We're just called to proclaim Jesus Christ and let Him do what He's going to do with the message. I like the the statement James McDonald says: "Just let the lion out of the cage and let him do his thing." See, proclaiming. Jesus Christ isn't about human persuasion, it's about a supernatural event, and we're seeing that happen right in front of them. It says that they took him into, into custody, and they, they didn't try him that night, because Jewish law, they weren't allowed to do that at evening, even though they broke that law for Jesus Christ, uh, but they had to wait till the very next day, so they throw him in the slam room. Can you imagine them talking with the other guys? So, so what are you in for? Well, I, I stole a goat. What are you, what are you in for? Like, I, I killed a guy. I'm a zealot. What, what are you in for? I, I, I healed a lame guy. Like, you know, like so. So they're, they're they're really hardened criminals. They're thrown in the in the joint. Let's see what happens with, with them in there. It says on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had set them in the midst, right in the middle of them, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Stop there for a second. This is major damage control. This is rallying all the big dogs Over one lame man healed because they know there's a lot at stake here. There's a power struggle going on. And upon first read, you're like, who's that that group there? So let me explain just real briefly. Rulers are also called the chief priests. There's 24 of them represented the different priestly orders. So that's one group that's mentioned. The elders would be the major family heads and heads of tribes there. The scribes would be the law experts, mostly Pharisees. And then the high priest... All made up what was called the Sanhedrin, which is the major governing, really the governing body of Israel at that time has all gotten together for what? just to confront this one guy getting healed. Pretty cool to think that you stirred up such a pot that you got literally all the big dogs. And why are all the big dogs showing up? The, the high priest the, and, and the entire priestly family, why are they all there? Because it's a leadership struggle. It's a power struggle. The, the, if the message that they're proclaiming gets out, then this whole structure that they had in place comes crumbling down. That's what's at stake there. For those of you that are like, why didn't the religious leaders embrace Christ? Because Jesus Christ was the high priest. What does that do if you're carrying the title high priest? It puts you in the unemployment line. Not only that, if you think about it, you're not just unemployed, you're also then stamped as a murderer because you're the one that put the high priest to to die. So there's a lot going on here. It's a major power struggle. And so they're asking one simple question. Whose name are you doing this in? Because clearly it's not us that told you to do it. So if it's not us, then who is it? That's the million-dollar question. And here's the thing that's intense about this. This is a a life-and-death moment. This is the same crew that's mentioned that literally hung Jesus on a cruel Roman cross. So this is a a tense moment. This is a life-and-death. If there's ever a time for a commercial break, that would have been it. But instead, we see the response. Take a look at it. The the response of the uh, disciples. Uh, Peter and John it says then Peter verse 8 filled with the holy spirit said to them rulers of the people and elders if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man has been healed let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation. Listen to this. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is a unique opportunity to have the entire council gather, the the entire leadership. This would have been the, the the Supreme Court of that day as they function in law as well. And they're having this crossroads of whether or not they're gonna boldly proclaim something or not. Based on reading that section, would you say they passed? When they when they were squeezed, would you say they did pretty good? I I I would suggest so, but here's the thing I want you to catch your eye. Verse eight, then Peter Filled with the Holy Spirit said to them. That's the prerequisite. He, he wasn't doing this in his own strength because we saw back in the Gospels in his own strength. Not so great. But when he's empowered by the Spirit living and reigning and ruling in his life, he's able to boldly stand up even when death is on the line. And so he, he boldly proclaims this. And I love this. This was something Jesus predicted. Did you know that? Jesus predicted that th- this was going to happen. Look, look in Luke. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. He says, and when they bring you before the synagogues, that's where they're at now, and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. How cool is that? How cool is that? He he said, listen, it's gonna happen. This if they opposed me, if they hated me enough to hang me on a cross, you're gonna run into the same issue. And this is the same thing we're gonna realize the more we hold up our flag, the more opposition you're gonna experience. But this promise is the same for us as well. God will give you the words to speak. I love, he doesn't just defend himself or go all meek on him. Peter starts saying, hey, hey, listen, guys, listen. If First off, if this is for doing a good deed for a lame guy, that's a problem. So he starts by kind of introducing that as pretty silly. But then he says, but if you're asking me what name I did this in, do you see it here in the text? He's bold. You couldn't more boldly proclaim it. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. He boldly proclaims it. He points out the fact, too, that, yeah, you remember that guy, Jesus, that you killed? That, that, you remember him? And remember the, the, that, that time when he was killed and then rose back again to life? Now, think with me for a second. Again, we brought this up a few weeks ago. If there's ever a group that's going to oppose something presented Would this not be the time to say he didn't rise from the dead? But instead, what does their silence tell you? Maybe too many of them had seen him rise back to life. Maybe maybe if there's ever a time to oppose the, the critical foundational truth of Jesus, that would have been the right time. But instead, we're told they remained silent with nothing to say in opposition. So, Peter and John used this opportunity. God gave them the exact words to speak. He's like, He says, You you rejected the cornerstone. Back then, the way they built buildings is their first priority in the quarry was to find the perfect stone, perfectly straight, no bad angles on it. And they would set that, and that would be the stone in which they would lay the foundation or the walls both directions. That was literally the cornerstone. Everything came from that cornerstone. And he's saying, oh, you guys, you're supposed to be the builders, you missed the main guy. Like, you, you, we can't build something if you've missed the Messiah he's pointing to. It and he says, and he gives him a little glimpse of hope. He's the only name by which anyone can be saved. Basically, this was a bold presentation of the gospel to all the key religious leaders of that time. God used him mightily. And if you think, you wonder if you actually boldly speak up for Christ, if God's not going to give you the words to say, I'd, I'd suggest He's going to show up. He's going to show up. I, I remember some years back, my wife and I were in uh, Kenya. We were on a, a missions trip there, and one of the things that they were doing is in this uh, town of Nakuru, they did these different outreach events. And th- this was their, their strategy. It wasn't real great. Uh, they, they, they basically, in the center of town, the, the biggest uh, gathering area, they put up this big wooden box and found amplification, uh, pretty uh, jinky, uh, but amplification, a couple mics and some speakers, and they'd have a guy, a pastor, go up, stand on that box, and start preaching, and whoever showed up would hear about Jesus Christ that way. But the amplification was so loud, it would be hard to ignore it. But what blew, blew me away, first off, these pastors wore like a full suit, and it was 110 degrees out there. Uh, that's the practical side. But then the second side was, they would talk for like an hour plus. But you'd see people coming, repenting, turning their life over to Christ. And you're just like, that didn't seem like that great of a strategy, but God used it in a mighty way. And I remember being, just kind of thinking, man, that's that's something else. That's impressive. I was young in ministry. One of the 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 pastors say, "All right, Scott." He goes and he get, he comes down from preaching. He's like he's like, "You're up tomorrow." I was like, "Yeah, yeah that that's that's funny. That's funny. That's that's gonna happen, right?" He's like, "No, really. You, it's your turn to go tomorrow. We have it scheduled for the week." And so I'm like, "Oh my goodness!" I remember coming back to Adrian like in a panic. I I asked them. I'm like, "How long do I?" Sp- I asked them, "How long do you speak to?" They're like, "I don't know." Like. 40 minutes, 50 minutes, maybe an hour. Are you kidding me? Like an hour? So I start jotting down on a pad of paper every sermon illustration I've ever heard (laughs) and trying to compile something in in, in 24 hours. And they're like, yeah, but we need you to be at this thing and this thing. I'm like, I need to stay and work on this. I get up there and it's your your, your turn, Scott. Ready up. I got this hot suit on, like, uh, uh, not like a hot suit, but a suit that was hot. But, uh, (laughs) But I got this, this suit that's just sweat, and I'm stand, I get up there, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say. I start getting into it. Start going, one sermon illustration after another. And, and before you knew it, I was just like, it was, it was like a surreal moment where God literally took over. Like he took over and started just speaking through me and and there's people getting saved and most of them were drunk, but that's all right. Uh, but, but, But it was so cool to see God show up in the miraculous and I would suggest the same is true for us. We take a little step of boldness out there and see if God doesn't do the miraculous through us just like he did through these guys back then. You see, you just let the lion out of the cage, and you let him do the work. You see, that wasn't very well received. Look at verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, doesn't that give hope to all of us, right? (laughs) They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with who? Jesus But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. You see, when we are bold, when we are bold in a culture that's gripped by fear, when we are bold, people notice. People notice. They're like, wait a second. Something's going on with this guy something different they're set apart and you see that the audience was perplexed they're like wait a second these guys are are just ordinary joes like where did this come from and you see it i pointed it out even as we're seeing it they said but they had been with jesus they were starting to look a little bit like their master." I'm not talking about appearance wise. I've seen this. I, I couldn't resist showing this. This is kind of a silly thing. Pictures on the internet. Maybe you've seen these of owners that start to look like, or dogs that look like their owners. Have you guys seen this? So uh, I especially like the lady in the bottom left corner. Uh, like she's legit matching. All of them all are. Here's one more picture of it. One more picture. This guy. Uh, match in the Sharpe, that's the best one uh, but but here here's the thing we can take that down or you'll be just staring at that but here's the thing they're not saying that what made them notice that they had been like Jesus wasn't their long flowing locks of hair or the beard or the perfectly manicured white robe that Jesus wore right that we all see in the the pictures That's not what they're saying. They're not saying that they looked like him physically. They're saying they looked like him in boldness. Boldness was what triggered them recognizing the similarity between the two. That's what set the... They're like, wait a second. Jesus always made us look really stupid in these debates, just like they're doing. Huh? Huh? I wonder how that works. They started to make this connection like, wait a second, they're, they're ordinary guys, fishermen. They're uneducated, but yet there's a boldness and a confidence because clearly they've got something going on inside. And then if that wasn't enough that they, these guys being bold, look at the, the, the second part that they notice. It says, verse 22, for the man on whom the sign of healing was performed. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm reading the wrong section. Um. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, this is verse 14, and they had nothing to say in opposition. So the entire time, this whole court proceeding is going down, there's the guy next to him. He's around 40 plus years old, standing there. Can you? What do you think he's looking like? He's, he's not talking. He's just standing. I'm picturing him, he's just grinning the whole time. He, he's like, I asked for alms. I got legs. You remember that last week. And he's like... I, I've been healed. And so they're like, as much as we want to try to debate these guys, I got, here's a picture I thought of him. Uh, I've got Miss Smiling Joe standing next to him, so excited about his new legs. He's like, we don't have anything to say. They're, 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 and so they say, all right, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna put court into recess. We're going to go figure out what we're going to do. Look at their, their recess, what they decide to do. They go, come together. Basically, they're saying, we, we've got this guy that's been healed. He's walking and leaping and praising God. We saw that last week. He won't shut up about it. Uh, what do we do? What, what's our, our alternative? It's a notable sign. We can't, can't deny it. This 40-year-old guy is, is, has been healed. And, and all the things they're saying are validated by the people that have seen Jesus Christ rise again. What do we do so here's their brilliant idea. I know we're gonna implement some intimidation. We're gonna tell them you gotta stop talking about this. You gotta shut up. That's their big plan. That's their. Do, do you think that's gonna go well? Do you think that's gonna be well received by by Peter and John? Or are they gonna be like, okay, we'll just stop talking? Like, absolutely not. They're on fire. Take a look at verse eighteen. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Hmm, I added that, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Love this interaction there. So they pull them together. They threaten them. They're like, you got to stop talking about... And isn't that what happens when you're bold for Christ? Even within the church, they're like, you got to just tone it down a little bit. You need to ease back you need to slow down don't be so crazy about your faith you know like that so so they threaten them they use some intimidation factor and when they're called to actually stop talking i love their response they're like hmm i'll add that again hmm (laughs) so if god tells us to do this and you tell us not to do this who should we listen to who should we, hmm, I love that, that interaction, and, and, and the people, I can imagine just their jaws dropping in the room, we're like, oh, we can't say to not listen to God, so what, what do we do here? They, they pushed them into the quandary of, do you listen to God, or do you listen to man? that suggests for us too isn't that the quandary that we still have i end up interacting with a number of people that are like yeah i'm not really allowed to talk about christ in the workplace you know it's forbidden there you know uh, and the schools we're not allowed to pray or do anything because it's not allowed there's rules about that there's laws about that and counseling i can't bring up jesus because there's there there's ramifications for that and i wonder though i wonder i think i've mentioned this before If one of us ever was so bold about Jesus Christ in the workplace that you lost your job, do you think God would be, yeah, you shouldn't have been talking about that. That was silly. You're on your own now. Or do you think God might step up and be like, man, I got you covered. Man, if if there's anything for you to tell stories about for eternity, how sweet would it to be like, yeah, that one time I lost my job for talking about Jesus. It was awesome. It was awesome. You you see, intimidation shouldn't move us to silence. Aren't you so glad that these guys didn't listen to what they are told? Can you imagine? If they would have been silent... Who knows? Who knows who in this room might not be here today because I think God would have still done something crazy. But, uh, but, But you think about that. God chooses to use us as part of the proclamation factor that then draws people to himself. Boldness is what does that. Funny if you think about it, for them, they're telling, they're shaking them up and telling them to stop talking about it. For us, we're kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. We have to shake ourselves up to tell us to start talking about it. But what I love about the response that they said, and I think this is the definition, he says, We cannot but speak. We cannot but speak. In other words, I can't help myself. I I can't not talk about it. I've been so changed from the inside out. Jesus is changing me. My sins are forgiven. I have joy I can't explain, a security in the future. I have a love for others I've never had before. I can't help but talk about that. Isn't that boldness? It's not calling you to do something weird or be something you're not. It's calling you to talk about what God's doing On the inside, as he's transforming you, that's the invitation. I'm so glad they weren't silent. I'm calling us as a church to maybe consider why we choose to be silent. What would it take to move us towards a life of boldness? Hopefully it doesn't come down until we have to be squeezed. Maybe it could even happen before we're squeezed. Just a potential there. Let me pray for us as we wrap up. So much great to learn from this text. God, I thank you for this word and this example of these two bold disciples that were filled with the Holy Spirit, that they were submitted to your reign and rule, that they had given themselves over to you driving the ship. I pray that for ourselves, God, that we wouldn't let the distractions of this world, the sins that entangle, the fear that grips all of those things to keep us from speaking about what we know is true. I'm confident, one, that if we do, you'll give us the words to say. Also, that you're not going to abandon us if we do speak out. I'm confident the world also will take notice because it's not the norm. We thank you for this message. We pray that it stirs in us, moves us, God recognize that we're so dependent on you for any of this, God. So we just submit this even into your hands to grow a boldness in our hearts and lives. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. And isn't that boldness defined right there? Just singing of how great our God is to the world around us. Let's do that even going into the week ahead. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.